Gold Street Garden family, it's Pastor Dominic. So honored to have you join us for another podcast episode. We are hot in the trail of a brand new series called Living from His Presence. There is so much wealth and invaluable truth to be learned in the pursuit and the perpetual habitation of His presence. We pray that today's teaching would bless, encourage, and challenge you in your intimacy and knowledge of Jesus. You can follow us on all social media platforms to stay up to date with our latest content. Enjoy today's message. So what we're going to talk about tonight is if you would turn to your neighbor and say this, the priority of his presence. I want you to say it again. The priority of his presence. This is what I want to talk about tonight. I want, to, I want to talk about how in our lives we need to prioritize the presence of God in every sphere of life, in every avenue of life, the presence of God. I need you to turn to somebody else and say, I need the presence of God. Turn to your other neighbor and say it. Now we know God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. Did you ever know that just because you're somewhere, you're, you, you cannot be there? There's some people that are here right now, but you're not even here. You're not even listening. You're not even, you're not even in the zone. Did you know God's presence is everywhere, but people cannot be in it because they're not aware that he's there? But once you're aware that he's there, it changes everything. All of a sudden, the things that normally tick you off, you look as an opportunity to lean on him. All of a sudden, the things that bother you, you look at it as a, as a beautiful moment that you can share with God to, to learn to tap into his strength and his patience and his character rather than relying on your own strength. When we talk about the priority of his presence, the results in your life are a pure reflection of your priorities. I'm going to say it again. The results in your life are a pure reflection of your priorities. In fact, your character tells the story of your priority. Your character tells the story of your priority. Whatever you prioritize will will manifest in your life. If you prioritize your schedule, if you prioritize what's easiest for you, it'll show up in your character and you'll be left out. Being real. People will surpass you just because they prioritize what God prioritizes. Is that, I hope I'm helping people tonight. I want to come off a little strong and then we'll, we'll you know, the Lord will heal, heal us. But we got to understand prioritizing his presence is so vital. It is so vital. And when I think of a character in the Bible that loved the presence of God more than anything. By the way, can we sing I'm a lover of his presence at the end? Like, and just like wreck the place, please. So when, when, who loved the presence of God more than any character in the Bible? David. Did you know he's the only man in the entire Bible that got coined this phrase? a man after my own heart. That, that he's the only one in the Bible that God named a man after my own heart that claimed it would be. Did, David did something so beautifully correct in the eyes of God. And I can tell you right now that David was not a poster boy child. He did, he did if you read David's life, it was not all good. In fact, some of the most Heinous things that took place were because of him. People in his kingdom died on his watch. He had affairs with, with, with just the wives of his soldiers. He, David was not a perfect individual. But you know what? He never allowed his mistakes to keep him from going back to God. He never for one moment forsook 
that I need the presence. We talked about joy last week, but what does Psalm 51 say? Psalm 51 is the psalm that David pens right after he had had one of his greatest failures. And you know what he says? He says, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. Restore the joy of my salvation. Because he knew that his actions had caused him to not be able to be tender, to know the presence of God and to feel his love and the weight of his presence. Do you know This is what I want you to know. That's why I got you to say that I need the presence of God. You see, I don't know about you. Some of you can just come here and be like, I just need a nice little pick-me-up. That's not me. Every day I need to get down on my hands and knees and say, I need the presence of God in my life. That I'm not waiting for somebody to pick me up because I have a God that set my feet upon the rock, upon a solid foundation. I don't need to preach tonight. Somebody needs to fall in love with the presence of God again. The presence of God is everything. That when you get away, that the enemy, his goal is not to get you caught up in sin. And he's, his goal is to get you away from him. He wants to get you away from the presence because when you're in the presence, you're most effective. When you're in the presence, you got the joy. When you're in the presence, you got the peace. When you're in the presence, you got wisdom. When you're in the presence, you are the best you. When you are in the presence, you are a direct threat to hell. And that's why the enemy wants to get you out of the presence. He wants you to desire all the things around. He'll even get you to desire certain things in the kingdom of God over the king. There's a lot of people that want positions. Come on. Don't pursue positions in the kingdom. Pursue the presence of the king. You got to get to a place where his presence means everything. And I, I want you to know that I, my, my heart is I want to be able to lead a charge the best that I can. That I want you to see a, a man that will get on his face. That I don't need to look all nice in a suit on the front row and everybody bow down to me. No, I'm going to get on my face and cry before the Lord because I have nothing to say without his presence. Nothing to say without his presence. You are the best husband when you are a husband in the presence. You are the best wife when you are a wife in his presence. What are are you talking about? I'm talking about, well, the word of God for one is his presence. You know, sometimes when I'm reading the word and it doesn't feel like it's weighty to me, you know what I need to do? I need to say, God, I'm sorry I've allowed life to get a little busy, that I've allowed certain things. Did you know that one moment of repentance can soften your heart that all of a sudden every word of this book jumps off the page and into your heart sometimes people are like I just don't know God's not speaking to me God's not speaking to me but if I check your attitude a little bit all of a sudden I would find that there are some things in your life that you are magnifying above the name of Jesus even in our prayer life so many people they magnify their problems over the king They magnify, like, God, what am I going to do about this? God, who are you talking to? God doesn't know what a problem is. Problems are because of a fallen world and where we're at, but we have to fall in love with his presence. So if you would turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson, and then we'll get there. Does everybody know it's important to know what the Bible says? Can I I get an amen to that? Do you know it's important that I don't just take my word for it because I'm shouting or rhyming. Make sure it's in the Bible. I'm a man. There's things that I've said that weren't, that were out of line the Lord had to deal with me about. I want everybody here to know that we need to understand that this is the source, that this is where we build our lives upon. I just pray that the Lord would use me through my compassion to love people that he would speak through me as, a, as an instrument and encourage you and strengthen and challenge you. But before, as you're there, that's gonna be our main text. I wanna share this as well. Matthew 6, 21, don't turn there. I'm just, I already told you to turn. Matthew 6, 21 says this, for wherever your treasure is, there your what? Your heart will be also. We've talked about this, but I have to reiterate that if you treasure the presence of God, your heart will always be in the presence of God. 
For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what are you treasuring? What do you treasure? What do you value? Do you value the presence of God? Do you value it? Do you say that no matter what, I am going after him with everything in me? That I don't care if I lose friends. I don't care if family members don't appreciate the steps I'm taking. I'm going after the presence. You see, Jesus, Jesus said this. He said, don't assume I came to bring peace to the world. He said, I come with a sword to divide. Now you're like, that's a harsh word. Are you sure that's in the Bible? Yeah, it's in Matthew 10. But why Jesus said this, Jesus said this because he's showing that People have so much allegiance to one another and they can start being led by family's emotions, friends' emotions, what my boss told me to do, all these things. And you got to realize that you have a king and that you're a servant in the kingdom and that you got to make sure you're prioritizing his presence because don't ever, don't ever, don't ever allow an effective routine to replace the presence of God. What does that mean? Well, we can get into a routine at church, right? Two songs, fast songs, three slow ones, maybe, maybe only two because three might be too long, might take two. And then make sure this is this, this is this, this is that. Get them out. There are churches that brag about how fast they can get people in and out the door. They brag about it. Now, the reason I, I say that is because we have to get to a place in our hearts that when we're prioritizing the presence, that you will see what is the priority, lives being changed. You know, I love the story when Jesus healed the woman that had the issue of blood for all those years, that the 13 years she had, and what took place is, it says that she told Jesus the whole story. How many people know that when a woman tells a whole story, Sorry, just sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, I just. In fact, my wife would laugh. I'm the I'm the one that talks the long and I, and I. So I, I'm just joking. But I'm giving you an example that Jesus literally wanted to hear her whole story. Well, how long did that take? Jesus has got a lot of things to do. He's a busy guy. He wanted to hear all of it. You know what he said at the end? He said, "Be of good cheer, daughter. You're healed. You're whole." Because you know what Jesus prioritizes? He prioritizes people. He loves people. I saw this quote the other day, and it was really awesome. It says, Jesus doesn't count the sheep to, to um, celebrate how many are there. He counts the sheep to see who's missing. You know, when you come to church, you should look around and say, you know, who hasn't been here in a couple weeks? Because the enemy is after him. Sometimes it could be, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to help you understand that you need to reach out to people and love people because the enemy loves to isolate people, loves to get them out. So when you treasure the presence, your heart will always be in the presence. Bible also says in that same chapter, Matthew 6, it says this, it says what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You know what's cool about that, that you have to see is that He doesn't say seek first and then give you a a, a list. Like seek first the kingdom and then second, you know, do this. Third, do this. And yet fourth, close fifth, this. He just says seek first because there's nothing else to seek in this life. There's nothing else to seek. In fact, if he gave you a list, you would just build sermons off of it the rest of your life and just this, this. He wants us to know that when we seek first, he's giving us a lens to how we approach our job, how we approach our family, how we approach our career, how we approach everything is by seeking first the kingdom. Amen? And the only way you can have a kingdom is if you have a king. So who are we really seeking here? We're seeking Jesus. Where is Jesus manifesting? Where is God's hand? Where is God? I know he's in my life, but I know that God, I'm looking around the room and God is stirring up a movement right here in our city. And I'm not going to be passed by. I'm not going to sit on the sidelines and just try to build a nice church. I want to see his kingdom come now. And we need to get people prioritizing the presence. 
because we need some radical people. We need some people that are saying, you know what? You know, I have this going on, but you know, my schedule is going to start revolving around the kingdom. And I know, and I'm not telling everybody here to quit their job. Please hear me out because, because, because your job, there's people at your job and there's people you need to minister at your workplace. Stop complaining about your job and start preaching to the people around you. If it's not in your heart, it won't manifest in your life. If it's not in your heart, it won't manifest in your life. You need his word in your life to manifest. You need to have a desire for his presence or it won't manifest in your life. So I'm going to give you a history lesson. Are you all, are you all right? I'm coming on too strong. You want me back off? Well... <laughs> One time I got, sometimes I get too excited. I'm like, you know, Jesus didn't hold the sheep. He punted the sheep. No, just, <laughs> but uh, that was me getting in the flesh. So you got, you got, once you get too excited, you got to reel it in and make sure it's the Holy Spirit and not emotional zeal. And that's why I want you to know that when I get excited, that you, I want you to understand that there is an anointing here tonight. Because what we're going to talk about with David, there's not going to, I'm telling you, whoever's going to the next level, you're not going to be looking very dignified by the end of tonight. If you are, that's between you and God. But I'm just saying, we're about to go to another level. We're, I want to be the crazy bunch. Oh, you go to that church? Oh, that's a little intense for me. It is right now, but it's, it's not as intense as hell will be. The presence of God can make the flesh really uncomfortable because God will have no other gods before him. You see, the, the presence of God is not discovered someplace. It's discovered by giving him place. The presence of God is not found in a place. It's found by giving him place. Will you give him place tonight? Give him place in your heart. So 2 Samuel chapter 6, and I highly encourage everybody, study, study the life of David through 1 and 2 Samuel, and then you, uh, first and Second Chronicles also give the accounts in there. And the Psalms are obviously all the poetry and songs of, of David and the other psalmist. But I want to show you something about how David prioritized the presence above everything and I want to give a little preface and prelude to when he came about you don't have to turn there but if you are taking notes I want to give you some rich history with the Bible is that okay I want to walk you through so first Samuel chapter 4 the book of Samuel first and second is all based around a prophet and his name is Samuel He's one of the premier prophets of the Old Testament. God used him to pick David. Like, that's how of a big deal Samuel was. There's actually scriptures that you'll find in the Old Testament that say that Moses and Samuel, that, that God, he, that there was a time that God was so mad at Israel, he said he wouldn't even listen to Moses or Samuel's prayers. What was God doing? He was trying to say that Samuel held a very high reign in my ear that I truly listened to Samuel when it came to certain things. And Samuel was a prophet. In the Old Testament, the spirit of the Lord only rested upon three offices. Those three offices were a priest, a king, or a prophet. That was the only time the spirit of the Lord would come upon somebody. But did you know that when Jesus died on the cross, the spirit of the Lord can rest on any child, any, any, any granny, it does, any, any age group, the pre that, that means that you never know when we're coming, that it's not a priest, a prophet, or a king, because we've, we've all been made the priesthood. So when we're at a Walmart, you can't tell. We're a Holy Ghost undercover everywhere we go because of Jesus. Amen. But Samuel was made the prophet, called by God, and when Samuel was called prophet, there was a priest, the high priest at that time, his name was Eli. And Eli was very lax about the things of God. He let his children run rampant in the temple, doing whatever they want, making bad sacrifices and doing weird things. They were even, they were even having sexual relations on the doorstep of the tabernacle. 
Eli was not doing his job of disciplining the next generation. Families in here, you have to show the next generation, the children, that you prioritize the presence of God. That there is a reverence for the presence of God. Everybody understand that we have to have a reverence for his presence. It's not just ho-hum, everybody can do what they want. And No, no they're, they're, we have to honor his presence because we're revealing his presence to, a, to the world. We're showing people who he is. So Eli is not doing a good job and God speaks to him that I'm going to pretty much take you out. It wasn't, it wasn't a nice little word that Eli received. And then Samuel gets told by God to deliver the word to Eli. He gives the word to him. And then right after Samuel gets called in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the Philistines, who are a, a major threat to Israel, they come in to attack Israel. And you know what they want to go after? They want to go after the Ark of the Covenant. Everyone say the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you're not familiar with the Ark of the Covenant, when they had the tabernacle built in the Old Testament, that Moses' instructions were the Ark of the Covenant was the replica of the presence of God, that it was a golden box and the presence of God rested in this box and the, the, what, the lid was called the mercy seat where Jesus per, sits down on and declares us free. But in this story, the Philistines know that Israel's God is in this box and they're very familiar with this God that in Egypt that when he had so much power to bring plagues and to flush his people out that the Philistines know if we can get the, if we can go after the presence and get that out of there we'll be able to defeat them we'll be able to get them out and since Israel wasn't honoring the presence of God before every time an enemy would come in they didn't even have to fight that hard because God's presence made them invisible. Did you know that God fights battles for you that you don't even know are happening? That when we get to eternity, we'll get there and God will be showing us. We'll actually be like, you saved me from that? You saved me from that relationship? You saved me from going down that path? Hallelujah. We don't even know what our testimony is until we get to the other side. All you know is in part. But he has been doing great things for you because his presence is on the inside. Amen? And Israel was not honoring the presence of God. So the Philistines, they come in. And they start wiping them out. And all of a sudden, the Israelites realized they got caught with their pants down. Because they, they don't say the Philistines are defeating us. They're saying the Lord is defeating us. That was what came out of their mouth in chapter 4. Why? Because they realized that they had been invincible, but because they became lax about prioritizing the presence, now the enemy is coming in like a flood, and he's coming in to take and destroy. And all the people, you know what they do is they lift up a loud shout because they think if we shout really loud, maybe God will help us. And it said the enemies are like, why are they shouting? Why are they shouting? Did you know you can have noise with no substance? They were shouting, but there was no substance. And the Philistines kept beating them up. And you know what they do? They take the Ark of the Covenant. They take the presence of God out of Israel. And God let them. God let them. But you know what's amazing? You get to 1 Samuel chapter 5. Did you know that sometimes God will let the enemy discipline you? Now, hear me out on this. That the enemy actually thought that he had a victory. But you see, when the Philistines brought the presence of God into their camp, you know what they did? They had a God. They had their little God. His name was Dagon. He's a Dagon problem. <laughs> they, they, he's a Dagon fool. Is that Dagon was their, their God, mini G, and the reason that they, they had a temple built for him, and they had him, he was the storm God, that he brought the, the rain and he helped with the crops. So that's why they worshiped him because they thought that he's the one that brings the rain. So you know what they did? 
they brought the Ark of the Covenant into Dagon's house and they set the Ark of the Covenant next to Dagon to symbolize our God is greater than the God of Israel. Everybody say big mistake. You see, the Philistines actually thought that they were victorious. Did you know the enemy sometimes thinks he's got a victory over you? You see, he thought that he won. He thought that this. And you know, they go to sleep that night. They wake up the next day. And guess who's on his face? Dagon. Dagon fell on his face. This idol. But guess what? The Ark of the Covenant is still standing up straight. And all the people walk in and they say, Hey, why is Dagon down? We need Dagon. We need storms. And you know what they do? They lift him up. How many people know you don't want a God you have to lift up? <laughs> you, you don't want a God you have to stand up. But you know, I want, I want you all to hear this out. Some of you, God has knocked your enemy over, knocked your gods over in your life, and you download them again on your phone. And you prop your idol back up. You prop your God back up. After he knocked it over at the altar. After he knocked it over in that conversation you were having with him in prayer. He knocked it over and then you just propped it back up again. Guess what? They go to sleep again. After they prop Dagon up. Next day, not as friendly of a picture. Wasn't the wind that came in and knocked him over or anything. They come back in and Dagon doesn't have a head. He doesn't have limbs, arms, or legs. You know why? Because when, the, when God deals with your enemy, he defeats him. He disarms him and he decapitates him because he doesn't want the enemy to have headship in your life. You get what I'm saying? That Dagon... No more. You're not propping a torso up now because God reigns. He is God all by himself. Try to prop a torso up. Now you just look like an idiot. And that's where people are at when they're in bondage and things like that. And we have compassion, but your stronghold is a torso that you're holding up. You know what a stronghold is? Yeah, a stronghold is when you're holding on to something so strongly. That's why surrender breaks strongholds. Let go. Why don't you let go of it? Dang on it. You know what I'm saying? We have to see. So I'm, I, I got I to move forward. So the presence of God defeats Dagon. And you know what happens next in this chapter? It gets even more funny. God sends rats to go eat all of the Philistines' crops. And it gets even better. He gives them all hemorrhoids. <laughs> Read it in the Bible. He gives all the Philistines hemorrhoids because God's going to be a pain in your butt until you give him back to his people. There is pe you, see, you see, the world... The world is trying to move God out of things, but we need to get the presence of God back into the influence, right into the city. We're not ashamed to talk about him. We're not ashamed to sing about him. We're not ashamed to dance. We're not ashamed to pray in public places. We're not ashamed to lift up the name of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? We got to get to this place. We got to get to this place where we say that, you see, the enemy thought that he had defeated Israel and God. But you see, God will allow the enemy to look like he's got a little victory. <laughs> and then he will just torture him until the enemy gives you back everything he's stolen. <laughs> the, enemy is the enemy is getting tortured right now. And you are about to get things handed back to you. Things that were stolen. Things that you used to buy drugs with. That money's coming back into the kingdom there's people in this room you got to realize that God is going to agitate the enemy so much when you prioritize the presence because as as God is dealing with the enemy you see he doesn't even need Israel's help to deal with the enemy he's in a box he's in a box and he is destroying an entire nation with hemorrhoids and rats and tearing their gods down because he is not going to let the enemy Take his people. 
But while he's dealing with the enemy, he's dealing with the hearts of his people, seeing if they will prioritize him again. You know, the American church needs to wake up because, because God's been dealing with the enemy, but it's the American church prioritizing the presence, saying we're not about just having big crowds and just little things like this. No, we want the presence of God. We're going to cry out and say, God, have your way in our city. Have your way in our families. You know, there's people that are crying for revival out on the streets, but their homes are wrecked. You need to get the presence of God in your house. You need to show your children, show your family, learn to love like Jesus before you start saying you're a revivalist. Am I preaching tonight? I just want to make sure we're good. Are we? The presence of God, we have to prioritize the presence. So what are they doing? God's harassing the enemy. I love it. So at the Philistines finally say, you know what? I'm done with these hemorrhoids. <laughs> How many people think that sounds like wisdom? You know, even the enemy has a breaking point. So the, you know what they all say? We got to get this box out of here. They can take their box. You see, the presence of God in the wrong hands, it causes a lot of problems. You know, there's a lot of people that just use the presence of God for their own things, for their own things. But you see, God is not a toy. The Philistines looked at the Ark of the Covenant like a piece of furniture instead of the house and the foundation. So they're like, you know what? Let's just give them back their box. Let's just cut ties, give them back their box. You know what they do? They put God, the Ark of the Covenant, on a cart. Everyone say a cart. That's not what you're supposed to do. I'll give you a spoiler alert. They put them on a cart and they have two cows just drag God out. <laughs> They're just done with it. They, they drag him out. And as God is getting brought back to Israel, the Israelites meet them on their road. And they want to see in the box to see if they stole anything out of the box. Everybody say, big mistake. <laughs> they actually thought that they need to check the box to just make sure God's all in there and everything's all good. Like they're just checking under the hood to make sure the car still works. This is God we're talking about. God don't need your help. Even when you think he's in a box, you don't want to touch that box if you're not ready. They opened the box, 70 men died on the spot. Do you know why? Because the Ark of the Covenant was the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle was built that there were stages that you had to walk through. You had to get washed. You had to be cleansed. You had to be sanctified. You had to be in the perfect state and place of heart and mind and even apparel to even walk into the Holy of Holies. They actually used to put bells on the priest. Um, they, they would put them on the priest's clothing because if they walked into the presence of God and they weren't prepared, they would die. And when they stopped hearing the bells, they would actually pull the priest out because he was dead. This is why you need to be thankful for the blood of Jesus. All of you be, I'm going to go in the secret place. <laughs> you should be thankful for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? You're going in the holy holies and you're snoring. You just woke up. You know, these guys were like getting all prepared and they weren't ready for it. And the reason I bring all that up is because the presence of God got stalled 18 miles from Israel. And it got stopped at a house of a man called Abinadab. And it stays at this guy's house for 20 years. 20 years, nobody prioritized the presence. It was 18 miles out of the city. And guess what? The Israelites, they kept worshiping. They kept offering sacrifices, but the presence wasn't even there. Does that sound like Maybe something you've experienced. Maybe you've been somewhere where everybody's clapping, everybody's dancing, but the presence isn't there. Not me. I'll shut it down. If the presence isn't here, it's worthless. It's dumb. I don't want any part of it. It has to be him. He is everything. I don't ever want to get into a routine where the presence of God is an afterthought. 
In fact, as soon as I feel like the Lord, I, I, tell, I pray prayers, Lord, keep me on a short leash. I give you permission to jack my collar. If I start thinking, oh, this would be a good idea. No, horrible idea, back here. That's how I want my relationship to be with God. I don't have time to mess around. Do you want to fulfill your high calling? You should pray the same way. We want to prioritize the presence. Say it again, prioritize the presence. So we have all this. Now God is stuck here. And then Samuel gives a word in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel. And he says, you know, if you would just obey the laws of the Lord, very similar, then God's going to restore. And they all say yes, but they got familiar with other nations and how they fought battles and stuff. And you know what they all say? Give us a king. God didn't say they needed a king, but they saw how every other nation was able to destroy them. And they said, we want a king. So God gave them Saul. And Saul was not a man after God's own heart. He was a man after the praise of man. You know, you cannot fulfill God's will for your life if you're entertaining everyone else's will. You can't fulfill God's will for your life if you're entertaining everyone else's will. His will is revealed when your will is surrendered. You want to know God's will for your life? Well, first off, you got to give him your life. <laughs> it's not that hard. And when you think about it, sometimes people, I just want to know God's will for my life. That's the problem. You still have your life. That's why you don't know it. You're more concerned about what you're called to do than who he's called you to be. He's calling your name. Let him lead you. You know, it's so funny when people emphasize the calling. Why would you emphasize the calling? He's the one that calls. So if he's calling you, just go in the direction you're hearing. He'll call you. He'll call you. You'll hear little things, little whispers, and he'll lead you to passages of scripture. He'll lead you to bodies of believers where the Lord will deliver a word, put it in your heart. So God rejected Saul, and Samuel actually starts to cry because God rejected him. But you know what God says is he says, I prepared a man for me. Stop crying. And he says, go to the house of Jesse and Jesse is David's father. You see, catch this with me right before we read this passage. You're like, I, you told me to go to a passage like a half hour ago. But uh, is, is this helping anybody? This is going to explode the passage. Saul was rejected. And why Saul looked the part, he, he stood above every man, every individual. He was a, a very reputable person. He looked like a warrior, a soldier. All the people loved him. But David is a little boy. Everyone say a little boy. Just a little boy. And God says, I've prepared a man for me. Do you know why? Because God was looking at the what? The heart. That he was not a man yet in the natural, but he was a man in his heart to God. Now, this is why David is such a priority. He prioritizes the presence because God is looking for a person that sings to him when nobody's looking. God is looking for a person that is dancing in the room when nobody's around. God is looking for somebody who will read their word that just going after it and is not waiting to go talk to somebody about everything they, and try to show how impressive they are. God is looking for somebody that loves him when nobody is looking. That's why God chose David. He was looking for a man, and David is out in the field. He's not even thinking about being king. He's just singing, how great is our God. And he's just out there, and he's just loving on God, and he is just taking care of the sheep because that was his responsibility. But while he's out there, he's defeating lions and bears because God is preparing him for his calling. He's not beating up lions to show you. He's not trying to show UFC that I'm the next big thing. He's not defeating these things. He's just out there honoring his father. And God says, there's my boy. There's my boy. And I'm going to make him king. Even when everybody doesn't think he's qualified, I'm going to bring him to the top, and God calls David. And guess what? In the next chapter, David takes down Goliath, 
Because when you have the presence of God, all you need is a little slingshot to take the enemy out. When you got the presence of God, you don't need all the ammo. You don't need the big things. All you need is the presence of God. And God will honor whatever you got in your hands, whatever is in your sphere of influence. God will take you to the next level. If you prioritize the presence. So then we get to 2 Samuel chapter 6. So the presence of God has been ignored for 20 years, but the reason God chose David to be king is because he knows David is going to prioritize the presence. If you're going to follow anybody in life, follow someone that prioritizes the presence of God. I'll tell you what, I'm so thankful for the men and women of God that have been in my life that always direct me back to Jesus. They don't just try to give me a self-help book and say, make sure you're doing, you know, they'll give some practicals, but they tell me you need Jesus. You need the presence of God that when everybody's pressuring you with all their things, I need the presence of God. Can somebody be a witness tonight? I need, I need the presence of God. I need it. It's it's, it's a non-negotiable So when David's anointed king, right before this chapter, David doesn't give an inauguration speech. He doesn't give a a charge speech. You know what he does? He takes everybody and says, we're going to get the presents. (laughs) 20 years, it's been out of Israel. Soon as David gets anointed king in the natural, because he was anointed as a young boy, but then it gets manifested in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And David doesn't say, I want to promise you that we're going to feed the poor and we're going to end world you know, hunger. And he, he, doesn't, he doesn't get up and give a speech. He just says, we're going after the presence. Get out of my way. This king is only king. Because he's king. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not just going to get this title and then get you all to bow down to me. No, I'm going to show you who we're going to bow down to. I'm going to show you where we need to go. The reason I'm in this spot. The reason that Saul didn't kill me. The reason that nobody's coming. The reason I defeated Goliath is because of the presence. You see, that's why God's going to start raising people up in this room. God's going to start raising you up because you value the presence. Because it's not about a title. It's not about a position. It's not about this. You just say, I want to see the presence of God manifest in my family. I want to see the presence. I don't know. Somebody's got to dance tonight. Whatever you got to do. You got to get hungry. If I got to preach you crazy, we need to do it because you got to fall in love with the presence. So again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel. 30,000. 30,000 men David gets. But you know what? One thing you have to know about the presence of God and you have to know about David is that David is getting these choice men. Let's keep reading. I won't get ahead of myself. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. Isn't it amazing how it says that, that this is the God who dwells between the cherubim? Why do they have to say he's the one that dwells between the cherubim? Because he's so bright, you can't look at him. You can only look at what's to the left and to the right. So they can only describe his presence by the framework. Have you ever been in a worship set like tonight and you saw God through the chorus and the verse, but you're like, I don't know what I was seeing, but he was there, that there was a framework of his presence. His presence fills the empty space. He's the God that dwells between the cherubim. The first time cherubim, which is an angel, appears in the Bible is when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. God placed a cherubim at the east of the garden with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard his presence. But did you know what God told Abraham he is? He says, I'm your shield and your exceedingly great reward. So I'm going to be the shield that takes the, the judgment of the sword of the cherubim that gets you back into my presence. 
This is what God does all throughout scripture to get us back into his presence. He wants to find a people that want to build their whole life around him, that he can do wonders, sign. You know, God, you haven't seen anything yet. The Bible says we will do greater things than Jesus. That's a promise of the, of the word of God in John 14, that it tells us, verse 12, that you will do even greater things. Amen? So they keep going, and it says, so they set the ark of God on a new cart. Everyone say a new cart. Say big mistake. This is not how you're supposed to carry the presence of God. But you see, David saw that it worked for the world. Everybody say secular. Did you know that the world's ways of things, it'll look like they're going really good for a little bit? But let's keep reading. It says, they set it on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ao, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments and fir wood, on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums and cymbals. When they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. It's not a Putin hollering passage, but it's very serious. David put all of them on the, he allowed them to put God on this cart. The Bible says in Numbers that Moses gave away you're supposed to carry the ark, and it's supposed to be the Levites. The Levites, are, they're the priesthood. They're supposed to carry the presence of God on their shoulders. They're supposed to carry it up. You know what's so beautiful about that? is when you're carrying something over your head, first off, you're exalting it, but also you're vulnerable. Because when you're holding something over your head, no longer, that's why when we worship God and we hold our hands up, that we're vulnerable to attack, but guess what? We're not because what we're holding up protects us from everything in our life. He, he, got, he guards and protects, so the Levites, they would carry the presence of God. They were the ones that were called to carry it, but it's very interesting that Uzzah, he was the son of Abinadab. This means that he, he was familiar with the Ark of the Covenant being in his house. Sometimes you can get so familiar to the presence of God that you lose reverence. You get around the things of God, you're like, yeah, I know that scripture, I know those things. No, do you, do you realize that the scripture's life? It's not just some hallmark statement, that it's actually life. You need to hold the word with such conviction, such as, and Uzzah, you know what his name means? Strength. That he was using his own strength and God couldn't allow Israel to see that he needs the help of man. He wasn't going to let it happen. You're like, where's the compassion? God had to make an example that David made a blunder here. Remember we talked about before, David didn't already have. You would say, God, why wouldn't you just honor the fact that he, he went after your presence? He didn't do it the way God asked him to. When you don't do things the way God asked you to, there are consequences. Do you understand that there are natural consequences to disobedience? There are spiritual consequences to disobedience. And that the, the blood of Jesus and the grace of God is powerful in our lives. But you can't just mindlessly not repent and get this. Is, is, is this preaching to anybody? I just want to make sure that we understand. So we're getting there. It said that David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place, Perez Uzzah, to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, 
but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom. Everybody say Obed-Edom. <laughs> the Gittite. Now, check this out. If you really like some rich Bible content, this is really pay attention here. David is, is in a sense, kind of giving up. Did you know when you, this is, and I want to read this because I want to read it to you how the Lord gave it to me today. I'm going to read this slowly. When you do not value something, when challenges and problems come, they will discourage you. I'm going to just read that slow and then I'll get to the latter part. When you do not value something, when challenges and problems come, they will discourage you. When you value something, challenges and problems become fuel to your determination. Do you see the difference? Some people, when if like some people are like, you know, I like this God thing. You can come to a surface and get the goosebumps. Like, man, that was really great. But if you don't value the presence, soon as the enemy takes a lick at you, you'll get discouraged and just say, oh, I, I give up. I'm just going to set this aside. But if you value the presence of God, soon as the enemy tries to take a lick at you, you say, I'm even more determined to reveal his presence. I need his presence even more. I need to go after him with more. You don't allow this. So David, in this moment, he gets discouraged and he sets it at Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Everybody say Gittite. You know what Gittite means? It means to be close to an oil press, an olive press. You know what, when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, do you know what Gethsemane means? It means the olive press, where the oil gets crushed out. So David is actually having a moment of the garden of Gethsemane where he has to, he has to surrender his way of bringing the presence in his life, and he needs to Adopt God's way to bring it in and say, not my will, but yours be done. In this moment, and this is what's so powerful, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. You see, when you stop being you, God doesn't stop being God. That, that David put the, the presence of God in Obed-Edom's house, and guess what? Obed-Edom is getting blessed. His house, everything is going right for him. Did you know other people might have your blessing right now because you pushed something aside? Because God doesn't stop being God when you stop being you. And you know when God was blessing Obed-Edom, you know what he's doing? He's trying to entice David to say, don't give up. Look, I'm, I'm blessing, I'm blessing, come after me, come after me more. That's why God's, is, you'll see lives transformed around you that maybe you get a little stale and you're not going after God like some of the other people around you and you see how they're getting impacted by God and all of a sudden you say, I want that too again, I want that again. And then you start running, you start dancing like you used to, you start singing louder, you start reading longer, you start praying from your heart again. Because God is stirring it up. And then in verse 12 it says, Now it was told to King David that the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. So David is going after the ark now. And it says, and so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fattened sheep. Check this out. Check this out. David says, we did it all wrong. We did it all wrong. We, we, we did it the world's way. We put God on a cart and we just acted like it was no big deal. You see, David was just pushing God around. Just pushing him around in a cart. There's a lot of people that want the presence of God to be convenient, but God wants us to show reverence. So when we begin to lift him up, he begins to lift all of our burdens. When we begin to lift him up, he begins to, dis to disrupt the enemy and all these things. We think we're lifting up something that is too heavy, but we realize we're lifting up who we are. We're lifting up the banner. And as we do that, David said, we're going to do it the right way, 18 miles. I would say David was probably about six foot. So it said, every six paces, every six paces, they would sacrifice an offering. 
every six paces while the Levites are holding. This is how much David wanted the presence of God. And what would happen that once they got to Israel, they would turn around and they would see a trail of blood. Did you know your life, when you go after the presence of God, that when you get to your place where you're supposed to be, you don't turn around and see the mistakes. You don't turn around and see all the things that you failed. You turn around and you see the trail of blood because Jesus' blood covers everything. And that's why David realized something, that God needs to be revered and that blood is a part of this and it washes. But David had such a value for the presence that there's a trail of blood that the the Levites are holding the presence of God up. And you know, David is a king. He should be wearing the most high, highly decorated outfit he should be. But David had a mission when he became king. And that's, I'm bringing the presence of God back into this nation. I'm bring, some of you got to say, I'm bringing the presence of God back to my house tonight. I'm bringing the presence of God to my workplace tomorrow. I'm not going to settle for religion. I'm not going to settle. I want a trail of the blood of Jesus following me. Everywhere I go, we need the presence of God. Somebody needs to dance tonight. Somebody needs to shout. We need the presence of God. Hallelujah. Shout. Sing. That it says that they sacrificed and then David danced before the Lord with all of his might. David was wearing a linen ephod. You know, David is the king. Only the priest is supposed to wear the ephod. But David said, I'm not going to be a king. I don't want to be in government things without the Lord. He said, I'm going to be the king and the priest because the priest isn't going to get to have all the fun. I want to be in the presence. And he danced with the ephod. He danced. He danced and everybody is saying, what is he doing? What he's supposed to be the king. But David wasn't there because they gave him the position. He was there because God takes the humble and he will exalt the humble and he will praise them up and he will put them just like Jesus humbled himself and God gave him the name which is above every name. You don't have to be seen. You just have to know he sees you and you put your hands up. You start singing to the Lord. David began to dance before the Lord. And as he's dancing, it says he danced with all of his might because David realized this is the moment. This is why God called me. A lot of you don't realize your purpose. Your purpose is to bring the presence of God everywhere you go. And if you realize that, you'll dance. You'll shout when things are happening. Some of you haven't let loose in a while. And what I mean by, I'm not trying to get pom-poms. I'm trying to say that David danced with the Lord before all of his might for a reason. There was a celebratory thing. There was something that God did in him, an inward work. Some of you stay too controlled in the presence of God because you're controlling God instead of letting him work the things out of you that need to come out of you. Some of you think you got it all together and God's about to mess it all up just to show you that he's Lord of your life and that there is a purpose for you. Some Somebody. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting. And it says the sound of the trumpet because when Jesus returns, what are we going to hear? And I left out a detail. When David was anointed king, you know how old he was? 30. Do you know why that's a foreshadow? When was Jesus anointed? When he was 30. Because Jesus was anointed the king of Israel to bring the presence back into the city. Jesus was anointed to bring the presence of God into your hearts. We don't have to go somewhere to get the presence. He's here. He's here right now. He's here right now. And it said David's wife, one of his wives, he's a blessed man. Now, one of, one of his wives, one of his wives had, which was Saul's daughter that he actually won as a reward when he defeated Goliath. When David danced before the Lord with all of his might, she judged him. And she said, how dare you? You look so 
you look so majestic out there dancing in the ephod and before, and David says, I'll become even more undignified than this woman. I, the presence of God is back in Israel. That your dad should have killed me, but his presence protected me and raised me up. And I'm going to even become even more undignified than this. There are people in this room that if you realize what God has delivered you from, what God is doing in your life, how he's promoting you right now, how he's defeating enemies that you don't even know about, you wouldn't sit there and stare at me. You would get on your feet and you would begin to dance into the next chapter of what God is calling you to. He is about to take us to a place. And the reason that I know the Lord brought this message message tonight is because he is after a people that prioritize his presence and the story about that woman Mikal when she judged David it says that she was barren all the days of her life that she couldn't have a child because when you judge someone's worship you'll produce no fruit in your life So at this time, tonight's different. Everybody knows it. You know why? Because God is after, he's looking for the Davids. He's looking for them.